So we just started a series a couple weeks ago called Life Is. And this is what we're saying, that everybody has a philosophy of life. Everybody lives life in a certain way based off of what they believe life is. In this series, we're walking through Romans 8, a chapter in the Bible, and we're saying life uh, attached to Jesus. If you're living a life attached to Jesus, you ultimately are living life, life to its fullest. And we've looked at this concept the last couple weeks. In the first week, this is what we said, life is freedom. We looked at Romans 8, 1 through 11. We said, life is freedom. That Paul writes, there is no condemnation. That when you say yes to Jesus, you are not condemned anymore because of your sins. That Jesus took that on the cross and that you get eternity in paradise in heaven with him. But also, this is very key. I think a lot of people miss this. You get purpose and meaning on this earth. That is huge to understand. And so with the first week, we looked at that. Life is freedom. And then the second week, last week, we said life is belonging to God's family. And this is kind of the illustration we went with. We said that Jesus, the first week, what he did is he walked into the slave yard. He walked into the slave yard and looked at us and said, I'm going to set you free. You're in your bondage. You're, you're in chains of your sin. What I want to do is I came. I want to set you free. I died on the cross. You say yes to me. Follow me out of there. And last week we said he took us into the courthouse and he adopted us as sons. We are now children of God. And what comes with that is we see that it comes with power. It comes with intimacy. It comes with inheritance, security, that there's amazing things when we grab onto that identity as children of God. And I think it's interesting because it's a powerful image of the gospel. And then we kind of roll into this passage we're going to talk about today, verses 18 to 25. And Paul kind of, I don't know if it's ironic or it just kind of worked out this way, right? He wrote this way, that verse 17 really connects us to this passage, verses 18 through 25 this week. This is what it says on the screen. You can take a look. Romans 8, 17 says this, Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. There's a dramatic shift in the conversation. If you read that, there's a very dramatic shift. It goes from heirs, we have this inheritance, we're children of God, this is awesome, to now he's talking about sharing in the suffering. It's interesting. It's a shift that we're going to run through the next few verses. If you take notes... If you take notes, I would write this down. This is the overarching thought for the sermon. Life is hard. Life is hard. And you might be looking at me and be like, yes, it is. No doubt, right? Like, I, I get it. I live life. I totally understand that. There's a couple quotes uh, that I thought were very, um, kind of would connect to what's going on. The first one is, life is not always fair. Sometimes you get a splinter sliding down a rainbow, right? It's just not fair. The second one is my dad worked with a guy way back, and the guy would always tell him this, life is hard, then you die, right? Life is hard, and then you die. And some of us, that's just how life is, right? We understand life is hard, and then it's like, where do we go from there? We know this to be true. And for some of you today, it might be realer than others. Like you are walking through this currently, you're walking through a hard time that you did not see coming. You walked in here today and you're like, how am I going to navigate this? Or you're on your last leg, your last hope of desperation. You're like, this is it. I don't know what to do next. I am unsure. 
I remember kind of processing this throughout my growing up uh, days. I remember uh, kind of this week thinking through, when, when did I like see this hit in my life? And ironically, it happened with my son this week. Uh, Wednesday night, we put him to bed, and then we went to bed at 10 and about 11.30 on our monitor, I just, I start to hear him cry. He might have been crying for longer, but I just started to wake up to it. And I'm just like walking in all confused to his room. I'm like, what's going on? And I walk to his crib and I pick him up and he's teething right now, okay? So he, we think he woke up, just maybe there was pain and he just couldn't sleep anymore. And so I pick him up. I remember walking through my house, rocking him back to sleep and saying to him in my mind, I didn't say this literally, life is hard. For him right now, life is hard. He's teething. That, that is hard for him. He doesn't know how to navigate that. I remember thinking I was in first grade. I was in first grade, went out to recess, and a fifth grader started to pick on me. And that whole year, life is hard. I didn't tell my dad for a whole year. I didn't know what he was going to do, so I was scared to tell my dad, right? But I knew life is hard. Then I got to eighth grade, the summer of my eighth grade year. My parents came to me and said, we're moving to Ohio. I'm like, what? Where's Ohio? Why are we moving to Ohio? What's going on, right? I remember, I remember thinking, I'm going to leave all my friends. I grew up there for the first 13 years of my life. All my family was there, my church family, my school, everything we're going to leave. And I thought to myself, life is hard, right? I remember my first year in college, my fall semester, I got the call from my mom that my grandpa passed away. He had cancer. I remember thinking, life is hard. So I went back for the funeral. About two years ago, three years ago, my brother, he was uh, at Penn State at a training camp there with other recruits. This was kind of his dream. This was his opportunity. And so me and my wife were going to go out and visit him and be with the family to watch. We're going down I-80 and my brakes went out and we hit one of the bridges, stopped us dead in our tracks, totaled my car. Life is hard. We didn't make it to Penn State. The next day, my brother tore his meniscus at camp and couldn't participate. Life is hard, right? But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Some of you walk in here. That's just, my, that's just part of my story. This is part of my story. But some of you walk in here today and you got the news about the medical diagnosis of yourself or a family member or a friend that you had no idea was coming. You're like, what, what in the world? Why now? It doesn't make sense. For others of you, it, it, it's your marriage maybe. Maybe it's been a year. Maybe it's been weeks. Maybe it just started this week where you're like, our marriage, it's just falling apart. It's just breaking. I don't know how to save it. I, I don't know what to do next. I, I can't, I've, I've made mistakes, but how do I navigate this? Where do I go from here? And you're like, life is hard. It, it just doesn't make sense. For others, it may be financial. Where you're like, right now, we just got ourselves in a good spot, and then you got hit and hit and hit and hit, and you're like, what is going on? Why all these bills? Why did this happen? The medical stuff, it does and you're sinking, and you don't know where to grab, and life is hard. Maybe you're a parent, and it's with your kids right now, right? I don't want to overlook that. Maybe you're, your kids, and it's like they're at that age, and I just don't know how to help them. It's really hard right now, whether you're in the baby phase, you're in the toddler, maybe you're in elementary, high school, whatever it may be, middle school, and you're like, how in the world do I do this? Life is hard. School's going rough. I don't know what to do. Some of you walked in here, and all of your stories are different, but I know this, that hardship comes no matter who you are, no matter what day it is, it's going to come to all of us. So whether you're in it right now, you're navigating this, and you're like, I didn't see it coming, and it is really hard, 
It doesn't make sense. I, I don't get it. Where do I go from here? Or you're kind of walking out of it currently. You're like, we just got through it. Or maybe you're kind of walking into something that you just don't see yet. Everybody's going to walk through hardship. Everybody's going to walk through suffering. At one point or another, you're going to continually kind of walk through this in life. And I think that Paul, talking in this passage, hits a lot of things that we need to take a look at. But here's the thing about suffering. Here's the thing about hard times that I think is interesting. There's generally, or maybe not generally two questions, but I think of two questions. There's probably a lot of other questions that could come up. There's two questions I think are important for us to navigate running into this conversation. The first one is this. The question we ask about suffering oftentimes is why? Why? Rightfully so, right? Rightfully so. Like, why would that happen now? Why would that happen when we're financially stable? Why would that happen in my marriage? I thought we were in a good place. Why would that happen with my kid? We just got him into the school and everything was going well. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Why? And it was interesting, as I like to research about things and kind of get a greater knowledge of it, I was researching um, this kind of generation study that the Barna Research Group did. It's an interesting one. Just look up Barna Research Group, Generation you know, Z or Generation Study. They did this study, and one of the questions that they studied was this. Unbelievers, okay, those who don't believe in Jesus, who say, I'm not, I'm not a believer, a follower of Christ, uh, they ask them, why, what's the number one reason you don't go to church? What, what, what would you say is the reason that you don't want to attend church, you want to be involved in church, whatever it may be? And this was, this was just fascinating to me. My generation and younger, my generation and younger said, the reason we don't want to attend church, the reason that we will not jump into it is because of this question, why would a good God allow suffering? That's, that's what's holding them back. It is the thing. It, we cannot skirt past that. That is what people are thinking about now. If you want to reach the next generation, you got to answer the hard questions. They're thinking about it, and they're like, I don't want to go because why would I serve a God that you say is good, and they're suffering in this world? We'll navigate some of that today, but I think the second thing that is asked that Paul kind of indirectly asks is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? And here's the thing. Here's the thing. As a follower of Christ, uh, primarily I'm talking to you, that you walk through hard times or you're like, my hard time, it's been my life. Like, life equals hard time. That's, that's the definition of what I've had to walk through. And you get to a point where you're like, is it worth it? Is it worth it to follow Jesus? Is it really worth it? All that you say, and yet all these things happen, I'd rather just kind of live how I want. Can I just enjoy it? But I have to live this way. It doesn't make sense, and it's confusing sometimes. I think that Paul navigates a lot of this for us through different passages, but through this passage in Romans 8, 18 through 25, if you haven't turned there, you can turn there. It's going to be on the screen. We're going to read it. Let me give you some context. It'll pop for you, this passage. Context is this. Paul is writing to the church in Rome. Rome at that time is led by a guy named Nero. Nero did not like this Jesus movement that was happening in Rome. So the people of the Roman church, the church in Rome, would see suffering and live in suffering. Things like uh, Nero would take fathers of Christ and put them on a post and burn them so that he could light his garden. He, he would feed them to the lions. Like, this is not, this is not some, like, facade, okay, I guess we got to talk about suffering. It's just what we got to move on to next. This is real 
conversation in a real situation for these people. This is what they're navigating. So as we read it, get that into your mind a little bit. Romans 8, 18 through 25 says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption, the sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they have already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. I think what we got to navigate first is this. If you take notes, I'd write this down. My life will be surrounded by hard times. It's just a fact. It's inevitable. It's a part of life. Verse 17, verse 17 like ends that section about being a part of God's family. If you've said yes to Jesus, take out of the slave yard into the courthouse, you've said yes to Jesus, you're part of God's family, it's going to be a part of your walk with Christ. Like you don't get past it just being a part of God's family, but it's just a part of everything also. Like Paul says, it's a part of creation, it's a part of this world, it's a part of what's going on. It's suffering is very present. Hard times are a part of life. John 16, says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's Jesus talking to his disciples, and he's like, there's going to be hard times. And if you watch or look at and read Jesus' life, he navigated really hard times, and he navigated people in hard moments. Like That's just what he did. That, that's what he was about, and he ran into the messes. Tim Keller who is an author and pastor, he writes this, No matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with the friends and family, and successful for our career, something will inevitably ruin it. No matter money, power, and planning can prevent bereavement, dire illness, relationship betrayal, financial disaster, or a host of other troubles from entering your life. Human life is fatally fragile and subjects, subject to forces beyond your power to manage. Life is tragic. No one is immune. Here's the thing. Hard times are a part of the world, part of around us. It's going to happen. I heard someone say after the first service, whether you are in it or walking out of it or walking into it, you're in one of those three stages. Right? It's, just, it's just the nature of life. For some of you sitting here, you're like, yes, I get that because I am currently in it. And what I want to do with these next few points is we need to recognize it to see what God and what Paul is writing about here about the future of it to see how we respond in it. Okay? We're going to navigate it like that because we need to know what's true about suffering and hardship to be able to know what's to come and how to run through it as we navigate it. Paul, interestingly enough, actually writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 11 about his hardship. Like, it's almost like an autobiography of like, hey guys, this is what I've navigated. And out of that, we're going to talk about some different things of suffering and hard times. This is what it says. It's on the screen. 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28. 
Five times I received uh, from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I'm not sure where Paul is safe at, you know? He's got a lot of in danger. 27, I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I faced a daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. He just lays it out. He's real. Like, this is what it looks like. This is what it is. This is what I have to navigate. And out of that, I want to talk about a few things in regards to suffering hard times. The first thing is this. Hard times are unexpected. Hard times are unexpected. Here's the thing. Some of you walked in today and you're like, this past week was awful. I, I didn't even see it coming. Like I, I had no idea it was going to hit me like that. I had no idea that it was coming on this day. And no one walks into a day and says, today would be a good day for a bad day, right? No one wakes up on a Monday and says, you know what? I'm going to go into my job and I'm going to get fired. No one goes into a Monday and says, today would be a good day to get in a fight with my spouse and talk about divorce. No one walks into a day and says, today would be a good day to just have an awful day with my kids, Right? No, one, no one thinks of that. It's, it's, not, it's not plausible to wake up and think of that. Paul didn't do that. Right? Paul didn't wake up and say, today would be a good day to get 39 lashings. Like It just wasn't there. It's unexpected. It's going to happen. But here's the thing. We have to recognize that. We have to recognize that, that life is going to throw us curveballs, whether we like it or not, unfortunately. And for some of you, I am so sorry that this week was the week this month was the week, or this month was the month, or this year was the year that a lot of curveballs went your way. And, and you're just swinging, you're like, I don't know, and I'm not sure, and I can't fathom, and where do I go next, and how do I do this? We got to see that it's an unexpected thing. The second thing I would say is hard times are unique. Hard times are unique, they, they come in different ways, different circumstances, different timing, different results. Right? They're all different across the board. I heard this uh, in a sermon, uh, suffering is not a competitive sport. It shouldn't be. Suffering should not be a competitive sport. I struggled with this. I struggled with this deeply. I, uh, I work with Pastor Bob at the Norton campus. I love him dearly. He would walk and, and talk with me and he'd say, you're weird, Joel. I'm like, thanks, Pastor Bob. I guess, you know, I guess I'm weird. But uh, he would say, you're weird because you grew up in such a good family situation and your parents are together and they love you and they're pointing you towards Jesus. The students that I work with sometimes, they don't have that. Like, I'm weird because of the situation I'm grow I've grown up in. And so when I would hang out with students and they have come from a broken home or a situation where they have a mom or dad present or school is really rough for them, I'd be like, God, why, why are they suffering this and I, I'm not suffering in something bigger? Like, why do they have to go through this and I'm not? And it's a totally inaccurate way to look at suffering that it's not competitive, that we don't make opinions about the intensity of other people's, but we all run into our own suffering in hard times, and we all need to empathize with each other, but also we're going to have to navigate it no matter what it is. Like, you can't determine the intensity. I wrote it down like this. We need to recognize that pain is present no matter what you believe the intensity is. Like, me looking at Corbin and saying, suck it up, kid, like, 
this isn't hard. I got in a wreck. Like, I totaled my car. Would be silly. Because in that moment, that's where his suffering is coming. That's where his hard moments are coming. And he's going to have to navigate that. That you don't wish upon yourself or others, man, I hope it gets worse for them. They're unique in that way, but they're unique also in the ways that they come about. Right? I can't answer all the whys, but there are, some thing, there are some things that we can talk about on why does this happen. The first thing, you can write this down, suffering or hard times happen because of a broken world. I can't go too far in depth with this, but you look back at Genesis 3, you see Adam and Eve are created, it's created good, right? And all of a sudden, Satan enters the picture, Genesis 3, tempts them, they take uh, the fruit, and then all of a sudden, sin enters the world when they disobeyed and decided to follow their own desires. And what happens there is a broken world is introduced. That harmony is totally out of place. It's total disharmony. It is disunity. Crazy things are happening. It becomes a messy, wacky, crazy world because of sin and the decisions that we make. For some of the hard times that we walk through suffering, it's just because we live in a broken world. It just is. The sin as a part of it, the pain and hurt, the loneliness, the disharmony creates broken situations. The second thing I would say is hard times happen because of choices. Hard times happen because of choices. We suffer because we're stupid, okay? I don't mean that offensively. It's just the reality of it sometimes, that we will suffer because we want to chase after our own desires. We want to chase after what we feel is right, what we feel is good. As I was thinking about this, I said that uh, phrase specifically because it made sense to me. Like, oh, duh. Like, I, it wasn't my parents. It wasn't God. It was me just being a fool. It was me just not following Jesus. So some of it is on us. Listen, but sometimes it's the choices of others. Like we can't skirt past that. Maybe it's a spouse or a friend or family member and you're like, why? Like that hurt, the disharmony that this sinful world brings brings sometimes a disunity in relationships and sometimes brings a desire that I want it to be mine, my mind, and it creates this brokenness. So it's our choices, it can be a broken world, and sometimes hard times happen because I have no idea, because of the unknown. I'll be honest with you. To give you a cookie-cutter answer would be silly. Those top two things, that can be some of it, but I'm going to say, I don't know. Like, living in this world, living in this world, there's sometimes where you're like, why did that medical diagnosis come now? I'm not, I'm not sure. I, have, I can't answer that for you, and to answer it would be foolish of me right? It's just the unknown. There are things that happen we can't answer. So those are some of the uniquenesses that create kind of a tension inside of us. The last thing I would write down in this section, and then we got to fly, is hard times are revealing. Hard times are revealing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. In our hardship, it's going to reveal who we are truly. It's going to reveal the true self. It's going to reveal in us who we really are. And I think people sit back uh, and look into how different people navigate hardship to see who they really are. Not maybe in a judgmental way, but as you navigate it, people get to kind of peek into how you're navigating this. Is your family that's walking through a medical diagnosis, is it going to break the family or is it going to bond the family, right? They get a peek into how to navigate that. And I think that uh, in a lot of ways, it can create two different people. I think one is it can create a delusional side. 
that sometimes we just kind of walk through life and, and we're kind of delusional about, oh, it's all going to be better and everything's okay and we're fine and we're not just real about the pain and the hurt and what's going to happen. Like kind of the TV preacher side of like, hey, if we just navigate this, everything and a bunch more is going to end up being great for us at the end. Right? We'll get the car, we'll get the house, everything's going to be fine, we want to navigate it, right? And so we got that side of things that we can become delusional, it can reveal that in us, but it can also reveal this bitterness, they can reveal bitterness in us. Some people, they turn into Eeyores. Like, woe is me. Everything awful happens to me. I can't even imagine. Like, I'm navigating this, and this is coming. And it just reveals in them this bitterness of, like, it's always me. It's always coming at me. I think what Paul is writing about and what Jesus, God, wants us to see is what is revealed in us is of ultra importance. I watched my grandpa uh, he was diagnosed a year before he died with cancer, and it was stage three. Okay? And so he was towards the end of all that. And I watched him navigate this whole medical diagnosis and then being in the hospital. And let me tell you, it, it revealed who he truly was, that he loved God and loved others. It, it, was, it was mind-boggling to me. He would share Christ with the nurses that would help him use the restroom. Like in that situation, I wouldn't even think of that. Like, I'd be so like, what? what? And he was sharing Christ in the midst of doctors and nurses coming in, and yet he was being an encouragement to his wife and to his family all along. It can either break or bond. It can ruin us or refine us. It can make us angry or appreciative of who God is. That is suffering. That is hard times, right? Cheery, right? It's not. It's just a part of life. It's a part of life, and I want to empathize with you because some of you are walking through it right now and you're like, Joel, that's exactly what I came into today. And I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you have to navigate that right now. I'm so sorry that it came unexpectedly, that maybe it came very uniquely to you. Maybe it came in ways that you're like, I don't know how to dig ourselves out of it. And right now, it's just enough to wake up and come to church and go home and I don't know what to do next. And for some of you, you're in that seat. And I want to first say, before I get into the rest of it, we love you, and we're so glad that you're here. Like, first and foremost, you got to know that. And as we navigate this, there is a future glory that will be beyond anything that we've seen on this earth that we're going to look towards, and then how do we navigate in the midst of pain? So, it's interesting. Paul writes about two subjects that are groaning and walking through the suffering. The first one I can't spend much time on is creation. Creation is groaning. Genesis 3, like I mentioned before, sin enters the world. It affects everything, okay, not only humans and creatures, but all of creation. And so we see that it is groaning, like it's experiencing like this is not right. There's a disharmony. Paul in verse 20 says there's a frustration. Paul in verse 22 says there's a groaning. The second subject is the family is groaning. We talked about this last week, that you go from the slave yard to the courthouse, you are family, bada bing, bada boom. But in this passage, the family is groaning. Verse 23, it says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. I had to fly through this. It's really powerful, though. It's really powerful that uh, what Paul is saying is this. Hey, you have said yes to Jesus. You're now a son. You've adopted into the sonship. You have the Spirit living inside of you. We saw that gives us power. gives us an inheritance, security. 
gives us intimacy, right? And, and we become more like Jesus as we follow and are led by the Spirit. But here's the thing, not until we move on to the next life. Like this life is over, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you pass away, you move on to being in the presence of Jesus, will you ultimately, will you ultimately look exactly like Jesus? That's when the full inheritance will come. That's when the full adoption will come. Here, here's how I would say it. He puts it down. It's, it's this full adoption in the sonship, and I would illustrate it like this, that last week what we looked at about belonging to the family of God is the legal terms of being adopted into the family. Those four things we said about Roman adoption, that happens, right? It happens, and like Pastor Adam, who's from the Norton campus, he adopted legally his kids from China, and then there was a moment where he got on a plane with them, and he rode in the plane over to the uh, states, came to his house, and invited them to come into the house and sit at the table. And that's what's going to happen when we move on to the next life as followers of Jesus, at the full adoption that we get to sit around the table with our father, that we get to go out and throw football with our father, that even possibly I think there might be chores that each of us identify with. We get to be a part of the full-on family. That's what he's saying. That is the future glory. That's what's exciting, that it is coming, that you can't even imagine what it means to be a son. You get to look like him. You get the full inheritance, everything that Jesus gets. The second thing he says is there's a redemption of the body. And all those who are 40 years and over say amen, praise the Lord, right? But I even agree with this, that there's an adoption, uh, but there's also redemption of the body. I'm gonna skip the, the passage slide, but basically you're living in a tent right now And when you get to heaven, you have a house, a heavenly house that God's building for you. It's a body, a new body without sickness, without pain, without the ailments, without that back trouble, without the knees, knee trouble, whatever it may be. It it, it lacks pain. You get to rejoice in that. And then Paul, swinging back around to the first verse we looked at, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Tim Keller writes this in a book, Romans for You. If you know where you are heading in the future, you won't even entertain the idea that your current problems and pain aren't worth it. Now listen, what what Tim and what Paul is writing in Romans is not saying that we're belittling your suffering, belittling your pain, belittling belittling your hard times. We need to recognize, we need to walk through that. We need to recognize and walk through, listen, without belittling, without saying, I can just get over it, and without saying, I can just do this, with the future in mind, the future glory that we just talked about, this awesome adoption, this moment of redemption of the body, this amazing scene, Jesus face to face, but with a hope right now that we navigate it with. And that's what he finishes with. And this is how I'd say it. How does my life respond to hard times Paul's saying it's worth it, and this is how you respond. In my hurt, I need to cry out to my family. In my hurt, I need to cry out to my family. So I think Paul is very clear that we are part of family, the family of God, and it is okay, and I would say necessary to be real with how I feel. That Christianity is not a stoicism. Is not this like, oh, everything's okay, and when I walk into the building, it's fine, it's whatever, and I'm okay, and no one needs to know, and it's whatever. Now, there might be certain things you don't share with everybody, obviously, but I think what Paul is saying, no, no, you got to cry out to your family. 
you got to let your family know. you got to be a part of this family by sharing with them what you're walking through, not walking in with a fake smile, but being the realest and rawest ones as followers of Christ because we follow a Savior who has suffered and given us hope. First thing is this, you run to your father. You run to your father, you cry out, Abba, Father. We looked at that last week. Mark 14, uh, in the passage there, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he goes to uh, the torturous cross that he's going to take for us. And you see him in that garden in verse 36 of Mark 14. He says, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Listen, Jesus is crying out, Daddy, 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 I need you. This is going to be hard. I can't even imagine what's to come. It's going to be painful, not only the physical suffering, but the spiritual suffering that I'm about to take. I can't even, but I trust your will, and I'm going to cry out to you that we cry out and trust God's heart even when we don't see his hand in the mix of everything. We cry out to him. We run to our daddy. But secondly, we need to weep with our siblings. Weep with our siblings. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says this, talking about the body of Christ. If one part suffers... Every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. That we are okay as a family to say we are going to suffer with you. If you are suffering, we want to know, we want to weep with you, we want to be next to you, we want to empathize with you, we want to be present in your suffering, we want to walk with you through this. That in the hope that we have a family, we can run back to the family, you can run into the family, you can lean into our father and lean into our siblings to say they love us so much, they'll be present in the mix of it. I think that's what Paul's saying. Don't forget your family. You can groan with your family. He talks about the whole family is groaning. Like, like we're all groaning. Like myself, my wife, everybody in this room has been groaning, is consistently groaning, groaning right now. They're like, this doesn't make sense. This, there's something better. There's some hard times happening. We're all in this together in a sense. The second thing is this. In my, hope, or in my hurt, I need to run into hope. In my hurt, I need to run into hope. Romans 8, 25, the last verse in this section says, but if we hope for what we do not yet have... We wait for it patiently. There's a patient confidence involved in facing suffering or hard times. There needs to be, and that's what Paul's writing about in verse 25. There's this patient confidence in, listen, in what Jesus did for us on the cross, that he gave us hope through his suffering. That is key that we have a Savior who suffered and who empathizes with us and gave us hope to move forward and gave us hope ultimately of eternal life and meaning and purpose in this life. But I, I think he gives a perfect illustration in this passage. He says in the passage, uh, kind of creation and family, we're, we're groaning like in the midst of labor pains. Okay, as awkward as maybe that is for some, like that's the illustration he gives. And I think it's a perfect illustration because uh, I just had a kid and me and my wife walked through nine months of her uh, carrying my child, right? And I think that this labor pains can go even into the childbearing process. The nine months, there's exciting things that happen, right? You announce that you're pregnant. You announce the gender. You have a baby shower. The family's excited. You decorate the nursery. Yet there are moments in the childbearing process that no one else 
sees necessarily. The moments where I uh, pull my wife out of bed because she's having a hard time and it's painful and it's hard, where she's getting sick, where the pain is unbearable, where there's moments of like, how can I keep going? And then you get to the hospital. You walk through the labor of having a child. And that labor is very painful. Moms in the room, deep respect for you right now, okay? Very deep respect because it's a painful process of bearing a child. You have the labor pains, but instantaneously, when our child Corbin was born and was laid on my wife, it was instant that no longer we thought about the pain, but we thought about, oh my word, the excitement and all of having our son present. It just totally flipped. That that hope of having a kid, we're excited, we're excited, we're excited. We have this patient confidence that everything's going to work out, it's going to be great. And we get to the moment, and it was much more glorious than I ever could imagine. I, like, cried. It was amazing. We chose his name. It was awesome. And I think that's the illustration that Paul is giving us when he shows or, or navigates with us how to walk through pain. He says, remember, you have a Savior who suffered to give you hope, hope from your sins. But not just that, you have a Savior who suffered to give you hope when you suffer. That there is something greater for you in the future. That there is something greater when you stand face to face with your Creator, you stand face to face with Jesus. You will be in awe. It'll be so glorious that the present sufferings you're walking through, not to belittle them, listen, not to belittle them, but they won't even matter to you anymore because you will be in awe of Jesus. That's what he's saying saying that's the hope to run into. That's where we look forward. Not to say that you don't get past these, right? Get over it, right? No, no, you get through it by looking at the hope in front of us. As we end here, as we end, I'd like just quickly to talk to three sets of people in, in the audience. I think one set sitting there might be some of you that are currently navigating pain and suffering and hardship and you're like, what you just said, it's so unexpected, it's unique, it doesn't make sense, it's hard, and I'm so sorry that you're walking through it currently. For some of you, that's been your life the last year, the last month, maybe just yesterday you got the news of something, and you're like, how in the world do I continue? Where do I go from here? This is what I would say. Lean into your Father, your Heavenly Father, and lean into your siblings, those followers of Christ that are sitting around you that want to be present in the midst of your pain. But don't forget the hope, the hope that Jesus set out for us for suffering for us, but the hope of future glory that we get to stand face to face with him. And then lastly, I would say this about that, that is the suffering, the hard times that you're going through, this might be a weird context, weird statement, is it advancing the gospel? Is it advancing the gospel? Here's the thing. Paul in Philippians 1 verse 12, he's in prison writing to the church of Philippi and he says this, my present, my present situation, the current situation that I am in has served to advance the gospel. It has served that. He's like the, 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 the guards, they know about the gospel. The other prisoners, they're hearing about it. They know about even in the midst of suffering. Listen, I think sometimes that's like on the side. I have to get through this. But as you get through it, can you be a hope to others? Can what is revealed in you be the gospel of Jesus and who he is and what he's about even in the midst of your suffering? Not belittling it, not just get over it, but as you walk through it, is it advancing the gospel? 
Second group of people, some of you might be walking through pain with others. And first, I'd like to say thank you so much for doing that. It's not easy. It's very hard. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. And this is why I would say be present. You don't have to have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. I, I just don't. You don't have to have the right answers at the right moments, but being present and loving and surrounding those who are in pain, that's the response that you walk in with. What I'd say to you is this. Is, is the person you're walking with seeing the patient confidence and the hope that you have? Are you allowing them to see that? Not by forcing it down their throat, right? That's a totally different story, but by how you navigate the pain with them. And then lastly, maybe you're in here and you're like, I don't believe in this Jesus stuff. I don't believe in this Jesus stuff. I, I don't do church things. I'm not a big fan on God right now. Whatever it is, and I'm so glad that you're here. Like you are welcome here. Keep coming here. Be present here. We love that you're here. And you might be sitting there and you're like, right now I'm walking through junk and it doesn't make sense. And you're like, that hope you're talking about, that future glory, like I, I don't even know what to do tomorrow with it, but that sounds interesting to me. That sounds interesting to me. And this is what I would say to you that it starts with what we talked about two weeks ago, that there's no condemnation. When you say yes to Jesus, you give your life to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. He takes you out of the slave yard. He walks you over immediately to the courthouse. You become a son. And when you become a son or daughter, a child of God, he's like, I will be present in your pain and want to navigate in the hope that you have in Jesus. He says, say yes to me. Be adopted into the family and let's do this together. Let's navigate this, this together. And it starts by saying yes to Jesus, by the one who suffered to give you the hope of eternal life, but also the hope to navigate what is ahead of you. If you're interested in that, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. One of the staff members would love to talk to you afterwards as you navigate that conversation in your head. Why don't we pray?